Psalm chapter 40. All right, here we go. Verse 1, ready? I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man that maketh the Lord his trust, and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turneth aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wondrous works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offerings hast thou not required. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not reframed my lips. O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. Withhold not thou thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. Well, we're looking at uh, two different thoughts in 2022. The first thought is my walk with God. My walk with God. And our second thought is my work for God. All of our sermons this year will fall under one of those two umbrellas. My walk with God or my work for God. We're going to look at our first series underneath this thought of walking with God. And the series involves this, my passions. What am I passionate about? Am I passionate about God? Is my heart passionate about God? Your heart cannot be in pursuit of God's heart if you're not passionate about God. And we're going to get right at the heart of the matter this morning about passion. And look at this title, A Heart That Obeys. A Heart That Obeys. How obedient am I to God? Oh, I'm not talking about obedient where it's convenient. I'm talking about obedient when it isn't convenient. We're going to look at that this morning. Let's pray. Lord, help us to take to heart Psalm 40. Lord, not only to understand the passage better than we did before we arrived, but Lord, leaving here uh, with an attempt to put into practice what we've heard. Lord, may we be doers of the Word. May we be obedient to Your Word, both when it's easy and when it's not, uh, both when it's natural and when it's not. Lord, may we be obedient with the right motive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Brother Joe, if you give me just a little more volume on these monitors, that would be great. Um, obedience may be one of the most unnatural acts that mankind is told to perform or to conform. From the moment we are born, we do not want to obey authority. We do not want to submit to authority. Children um, at home do not want to obey their parents. Go to a park on a spring day and watch mom and dad tell the kids it's time to go home, and you'll see that children do not 
want to obey their parents. Go to a home and watch mom and dad tell their three-year-old to eat their green beans or to eat their cantaloupe. And you'll see that children do not want to obey their parents. In fact, someone from England once quipped, he said, I find it amazing that in America, children do not obey their parents. Parents obey their children. Parents obey their children. And I have to say that that observation is more or less true, that parents are pretty good at letting the children dictate and tell them what to do. We do not like to obey. It's not natural. Children at school do not want to obey the rules. I can remember going through a rebellious time in the seventh grade. Matthew, cover your ears. You don't need to hear this. Amen. And I, um, I got caught chewing gum in school three times in the same day. Three times in the same day. I thought the rule that we couldn't chew gum in school was a bad rule. I did not like the rule. And I was determined that I was going to chew it. I had bought a pack, five pack of Bubblicious watermelon bubble gum. And I had popped the first piece in my mouth and I got caught. And my English teacher made me spit it out. She gave me demerits for chewing gum. And, and um, I waited until I got to out in the hallway and I put another piece in my mouth. And then my geometry teacher caught me and made me spit it out. And, and then my history teacher caught me later in the day. And uh, in that particular school, they would take the demerits and they would type them up and they They would print them out and post them on a community board for everyone to see all of the demerits everyone in the high school had gotten. And I remember my dad walked me over to that board. He was the principal. He was the one that posted them. And he said, you got caught three times in the same day for chewing gum. He said, I'm adding five more for intentional disobedience. I did not like the rules. I did not like the rules. And as a a child, as a student, I had a problem with obedience. Teenagers. Teenagers are especially self-willed, and they do not want to obey anyone. Anyone. If uh, you tell a teenager to do something, oftentimes they do the opposite just because they're a teenager, and uh, they, they just don't want to obey authority. But it doesn't necessarily stop with teenagers. How about employees? Um. uh, Rather, Paul uh, told, uh, wrote this in a couple of his epistles. He said that we're not to uh, we're not to be busy doing the work uh, as men pleasers. I service as men pleasers. You know what that means? That means that when you're sitting in your cubicle, you're playing Candy Crush until the boss comes around and checks on you. Then all of a sudden, you close out of that app and you go back to doing your work. Right? Uh, You're busy watching YouTube videos. Whatever it is that you do, you're busy being lazy until the boss comes around and then you're working. How many of you here have ever had a boss give you a job or uh, give you a, a task or lay down a rule across the board and you thought, that rule makes no sense. I don't like that rule. Boy, we've all had that happen, haven't we? And you know what? At that point, you have a choice whether you're going to obey or disobey. Submit or, or rebel. Um, drivers. Drivers do not like to obey the speed limit. How many of you sped on your way to church this morning? Be honest. Be honest. I did not speed on the way to church this morning. <laughs> I am a new man since I moved in the house next door. Drivers um, do not want to obey the speed limits. And uh, I've heard people say, well, 
if they would just move the speed limits up a little bit faster. And listen, I, I've, um, I've visited Michigan many times. The speed limit on the highways in Michigan is 70 and sometimes 75 miles an hour. Can I tell you that when you put the speed limit at 70, people drive 85. When you put it at 75, they drive 90. It does not matter how fast you put the speed limit. People are going to break the speed limit. Why? Because we have a problem with obeying authority. We do. We have a problem with obeying authority. Um, Humanity does not want to obey God. Does not want to obey God. God is the supreme authority. By the way, when a child will not submit or obey mom and dad, it's not just mom and dad they're disobeying. They're disobeying the God who gave mom and dad to them as authority. When, uh, when, a, when a student uh, is rebellious toward and disobedient to the rules of the school, it's not just the school teacher and the school principal and the school rule book they're being disobedient to. They're being disobedient to the God who gave them the authority uh, of the school and the teacher's. When a driver is breaking the speed limit, it is not just the state of Connecticut or the federal government uh, that they're disobeying. They're disobeying the God who gave them that authority. Listen, humanity has a problem with authority, with obedience, and that comes back on all of us. Now, there are only a handful of reasons as to why anyone willingly obeys authority. I'd encourage you to write these reasons down. Now, this list isn't uh, all-encompassing. I'm sure we could uh, probably brainstorm and come up with some other reasons why people obey, but I wrote down some motives for obedience in my notes. I gave this a lot of thought. and This is the entirety of the list I could come up with, and some of these are good motives, and some of these are bad motives. I started with the bad motives and got to the good motives later, okay? uh, We obey when... Obedience equals money. Obedience equals money. Do you know why you follow all the dumb rules at work, whether you want to or not? Because they hold a paycheck over your head. Do you know why you pay your mortgage? You're obedient to the terms of your mortgage? Because they would foreclose on you and throw you out if you did not. Can we all just be honest for a moment? If there were never any more foreclosures or bad credit checks or rather uh, uh, hits on our credit, many, many people would just quit paying their mortgage because they're rebellious in their heart. Rule not enforced is not a rule, and if the rules were not going to be enforced, there's no loss of money, no loss of, uh, of credit. Boy, people would not pay their mortgage. Obedience, we obey when obedience equals money. We obey when obedience equals self-gratification. Self-gratification. I guarantee you this afternoon, if I said to Matthew, I said, Matthew, I need you to go in the freezer and make me a bowl of ice cream, I'd probably get a little bit of, okay. But then if I said behind that, and make yourself one too, and you can have some for making me some ice cream, all of a sudden obeying dad got a whole lot easier and a whole lot more fun, right? Because not only do, 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 do I get dad a bowl of ice cream, I get myself a bowl of ice cream. And so we obey when that equals self-gratification. Anybody can obey when there is a natural and easy reward that seemingly is handed to them uh, for their obedience. We obey when obedience equals avoidance of danger or punishment. We obey when obedience uh, equals avoidance of danger or punishment. Uh, how many of you here at home uh, have um, the, the uh, smoke detectors that when the battery gets low, they beep, all right? How many of you get annoyed by 
the beeping. And uh, I hope that you don't just take the smoke detector down and take the battery out and stick it on the counter and forget about it. That's a bad idea, right? That's not a good idea. We had a smoke detector one time that we took the battery out and it kept beeping anyway. And I took a hammer to that thing. And I beat it, and it kept, you know, the the beat, 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 beat just changed tones, but it still kept beeping even after I hit it with a hammer multiple times. And I I think I buried it in a trash bag and then stuck it outside at the end. And and then I had to go get one of those that you stick up on the ceiling and maybe aren't quite wired into the house. What am I getting at here? Uh, Why do we change the battery as we're instructed on our fire detectors? Because it, it prevents danger. It, it keeps us from uh, having our house burned down or a fire spreading throughout our house. Oftentimes we obey only under a threat. Only under a threat. Um, how many of you here have ever had a boss, maybe in your younger years, maybe even not, but you've had a boss call you into the office and give you an ultimatum, right? You will stop doing this or you will start doing this or you will be fired. You know what? It got real intense real quick. Okay, I'm going to follow the rules now because there is danger looming. And uh, listen, part of the reason why spanking your children in a way that's... I didn't say beat your children. I said spank your children in a way that's cold and careful and calculated when they're little, uh, when they're young. One of the reasons why it's so effective is because sometimes the only way a child's going to obey is if they understand that if they don't obey, there is a threat of punishment that awaits them otherwise. The Bible's clear that he that spoils the rod, or uh, spares the rod, spoils the child. And uh, listen, many people obey just simply to avoid punishment. Those are the wrong motives in obedience. Let me give you a couple of good motives in obedience here. Obedience, uh, uh, we obey when obedience equals right relationships. Equals right relationships. We ought to graduate in our life from just simply obeying to keep the boss off our back to obeying because it pleases our employer. We obey not just simply to get mom and dad off our back. We obey because it pleases mom and dad and it creates a right relationship with mom and dad. We, we obey not just simply because we're afraid God's going to uh, 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 send a lightning bolt out of heaven and strike us dead. We obey because we know that it warms the heart of God and it creates a right relationship with God. Um, We obey when obedience equals loyalty and love. We obey when obedience equals loyalty and love. You ought to so value your relationship with authority and you ought to so uh, love authority that you understand obedience stokes the flames of that relationship and that loyalty within that relationship and that love within that relationship and your obedience is simply because you know that God loves you and your obedience is an effort to love Him back. The last two reasons I gave you, right relationship and loyalty and love, uh, obviously are the right motive and ought to be why all of us always obey our authorities. Many people obey when it is convenient to do so. They run their own life and do not want to be told what to do or how to do it. They do not have a heart that desires to obey. There's a story told about a man who 
was a wealthy business owner. He had spent his entire adult life building up this uh, business, and uh, a, a large business with many employees had its own property, and he had accrued enough wealth uh, in, in both his personal bank account and the company's bank account where he felt the liberty to take a trip to the other side of the world. And so he called a meeting together, gathered his employees, and he said, I'm going to be gone for some time, and I'm leaving you all in charge of the company, and listen, I'm going to send out regular emails, and I want you to review my emails, and I want you to put into practice what I want uh, you to do uh, with those emails. And so sure enough, he left, and for two years, this man was gone, and he emailed his employees weekly and sometimes more than weekly, and uh, he would send them uh, a notes of what to do and, 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 and try to keep things uh, going right and going uh, down a, 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 a profitable way for the company. And after two years, he returned, and when he walked up to the front door of his property, he noticed there were weeds in the flower bed, and he noticed that the windows had uh, many of them were broken and he walked in and he caught the girl at the front desk who was the secretary and she's playing loud uh, music and uh, she's playing games on her computer and uh, walked back into uh, toward the office areas and found two or three of the guys that were supposed to be working and they're horse playing and they're having fun and they're not getting anything done and uh, he pulls up and looks at uh, the, the company and realizes that fiscally he has suffered a great loss and without hesitation he, he, he calls everyone together for a a group meeting, and with the frown, he asks them, what happened? What happened here? And then he asks them, did you all not get my emails? And they say, oh, yeah, we got all your emails. In fact, we've even bound them into a book. Here's the book. Here's the binder. And some of us even took the time to memorize sections of your emails. In fact, we have email study every Sunday morning at 1045. You know, those were some really, really well-constructed, well-put-together emails, boss. And uh, I think that the president of this company would then ask, but what did you do about my instructions? And no doubt, these employees would respond, do? <laughs> well, nothing. Well, nothing. But we read every one of them. But we read every one of them. Many people know the Bible in their head. But when Jesus comes back, what's he going to find in your life? Broken windows, horse playing, goofing off, Laziness, a lack of obedience. A lack of obedience. Now listen, someone who has a heart for God is a person who is passionate about God. Passionate about God. This is someone who has accepted their place in God's kingdom. And to those who have a passionate heart uh, about obeying God, He is 
the master and, 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 and we are his slaves or his servants. He is the master and he has bought the rights to us. We are not our own. We are bought with a price. We are subservient. We are his slaves. His doulos is the word in the New Testament translated literally the word slave. He is our master. We do exactly what he says and we do so passionately. We do so with the right attitude. Psalm 40, David, a man who had passionately given his heart to God, writes about a lifetime of obedience to his master, and he shares his heartbeat about being obedient to God, and he shares God's heartbeat on our obedience to him. So let's join David in Psalm chapter 40 as we try and line up our heart with God's heart. The series is My Passion for God. The sermon is A Heart That Obeys. Let's jump in and notice a handful of truths about our obedience out of the 40th Psalm. All right, let's jump in this morning. The outline number one notice the experiences of obedience. The experiences of obedience. Let me give you an A, B, and a C here out of the first uh, four verses of this uh, chapter. Notice letter A God's timing. God's Timing. Look at verse number 1 of Psalm 40 with me. Verse 1 of Psalm 40. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. Notice there it says, I waited patiently. I waited patiently. Have you ever asked somebody for something and felt as though they were too preoccupied to listen to you? Right? You've been in close proximity of someone and they're busy. And you ask them a question and they don't answer you. How many of you can feel your blood begin to boil when that happens? All right. Am I the only one in here? Feel their blood begin to boil, right? Um, and, and maybe you cut them a little slack because you know they're busy and they've got a bunch of things going on. And, and uh, they're maybe so honed in on what they're doing. They, they maybe uh, selective hearing didn't hear your question. But what's worse is when you feel that your question is being completely ignored for no good reason, how does that make you feel? How does that make you feel? Not so good, right? Um, you ever felt that way when you prayed? You ever prayed and thought, okay, God, you hearing me up there? You sure are quiet. Um... David said in verse 1, he said, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined unto me and heard my cry. What did David say? David said, God came through for me. David said, God came through for me. But, notice the caveat, God did it in his timing and not David's timing. God did it in his timing, not David's. Um, pride is the enemy of obedience. You know what pride does? Watch this now. This is so important to understand this. Pride puts me at the center. Pride puts me at the center. Humility puts God and others at the center. When you pray, are your prayers me-centric? Or are your prayers God and others-centric? Watch this now. If I'm expecting God to revolve around me, then I am not, He is not God, I am God. I pray and say, God, I need this and I need that and I need it by this date and this time. 
we're giving God orders. We're saying to God, I need you to operate on my calendar. David said, I prayed and I waited. And when God was good and ready, he came through. A good way to know whether or not you are, um, you are selfish in your prayers or selfless in your prayers is take the time to think about how much you're praying for you and th- those things that are directly affected in your world. How much time do we spend just revolving around God and who he is? David said, I have spent a lifetime in obedience to God. And do you know what I have found, David said? God comes through for me. But not on my calendar. He comes through on his own calendar. Do you know what I've learned? God's calendar is better than my calendar. That's what I found. I have found that uh, when I just lay down my uh, uh, expectations and my hopes and, and what I want, and I say, God, your way is best, your timing is best. God, I didn't get what I wanted in, 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 in my timing, but I'm going to continue to believe that you're going to come through. David said, I waited patiently for the Lord. David's predecessor, Saul, could not obey authority. You may remember the story about Samuel, right? Samuel and Saul. Saul had just been installed as king, and the Philistines were right there, and they were wanting to fight with the Israelites, and and Saul is sitting there under a tree, and he's waiting on Samuel. You know what God's man Samuel had said? He said, do not go to war until I arrive on this date, and I will perform a sacrifice, and once I perform the sacrifice, then you can go to war. Well, the day came, and Samuel had not showed up, and the day was getting later, and Samuel had not showed up, and Samuel got impatient. I can see, or rather Saul got impatient, I can see standing there with his arms crossed, looking at his watch, tapping his toes, saying, Samuel, you're late. Samuel, where are you? Samuel, the enemy is suppressing. Samuel, what's going on? And you know what Saul did? Saul said, then I'm just going to take matters in my own hands. I'm not going to obey. Uh, Samuel is not coming through on my timing. He sets up an altar. He offers the sacrifice. And lo and behold, just as the sacrifice is being offered, guess who shows up over the mountain? Here comes Samuel. Many people think that the kingdom got ripped away from Saul when uh, we have the story of the Amalekites. And, and lo, we'll look at the passage more in a moment, but lo, the bleeding of the sheep that I hear, what is that? That is not where the kingdom was removed from Saul. God promised to have the kingdom of Saul removed right here in this story when that sacrifice was offered way, way back at the beginning of Saul's kingdom. Why? Because Saul could not trust God's timing. How are we doing this morning when God says, I want you to obey, and your obedience does not yield the results that you want? You pray, and God does not come through on your timing. Are you trusting God's timing? We see the experiences of obedience. David said this. He said, I have spent a lifetime walking with God. I've spent a lifetime, my heart pursuing hotly after God's heart. I've spent a lifetime being obedient to my God. And I'm going to tell you right now that God's timing is best. Letter A, God's timing. Letter B, we see my troubles. My troubles. Look at verse number 2. Psalm 40, verse 2. The Bible says, He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. David said, I have found myself in some dark places, in some hard struggles. David said this, he said, but my God has never once let me down. 
David had been appointed, anointed rather, to be the next king, only to be hunted like a wild animal all over the Israeli wilderness. Have you ever felt that in your obedience to God, your life was just falling apart? You obeyed God and things didn't get better, they got worse. You didn't get a pay raise, you got laid off, right? Uh, everything didn't just come together uh, uh, cleanly and naturally. No, your, your dishwasher broke and spewed water all over your kitchen, right? And then you, you went out to your car and you found out that your, your igniter in your car was gone and it was going to cost several hundred dollars to get it fixed. And you think, Lord, I'm just trying to do what's right. I'm just trying to obey you and my whole world is falling apart. David said, David said, I have been there in my obedience to God where I felt like I was in a horrible pit. I felt like I was in miry clay. I felt like I was in quicksand. I felt as though I was, my, my world was falling apart. Listen, I think of some other Bible examples of people who were obedient to the Lord and things didn't quite go as they anticipated. Do you remember the story of Abraham? God calls Abraham to leave Ur of the Chaldees and he's going to travel to a land that God will show him. And he gets uh, to a point where his nephew Lot and he, uh, the, the herdsmen of Lot and the herdsmen of Abraham are not getting along. And there's strife between Lot's family and Abraham's family. And, and finally Abraham looks at Lot and says, it's time that we part ways. And Lot takes his family and he leaves Abraham. And Abraham is all by himself. He's lonely. He's all by himself. He's struggling. How about the story we find around Naaman and Elijah and the little Hebrew handmaid? The Bible doesn't tell us her name. Here she is, just going along, loving life, seven, eight, nine-year-old girl, and lo and behold, uh, the armies show up, and the, I believe it was the Syrian army show up, and they capture her, and they carry her away into captivity. You're talking about doing what's right and having your whole world fall apart. This little girl does not get to see her parents anymore. Now she's slave to Naaman and Naaman's wife, and she has to live in that situation still trusting God. And I thank God for her heartbeat because when she found out that Naaman had leprosy, instead of cursing him uh, to die, she told him about God's man, and Naaman was able to be healed. And uh, David says here back in Psalm 40, he said, I've spent a lifetime obeying God. I found myself in dark places and hard struggles, but what I have found is that my God has never let me down. He's taken me out of the horrible pit. He's ripped me up out of the miry clay, and he has set my feet on a rock. He has established my goings. Letter A, we see God's timing. Letter B, my troubles. Letter C, notice my trust. My trust. Look at verse 3 and 4 of Psalm 40 with me. Look down at verse 3 and 4. The Bible says, And he hath put a new song in my heart, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear. Look here. And shall trust in the Lord. Look at verse 4. Blessed is the man that maketh the Lord his trust, and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. David reminds us that obedience boils down to the word trust. To the word trust. Hear what I'm about to say. When we obey for money, 
when we obey God for self-gratification or any other bad motive, in essence, we are saying that we don't trust anyone other than ourselves. God wants us to trust Him. To trust Him. I ask you this question this morning. Do you trust God? Do you trust God? Let me, let me uh, uh, flesh that question out a little bit more. Do you trust that God loves you? Do you trust that God is actively involved in your day-to-day life? Do you trust His timing? Do you trust His hand of help when your life is falling apart? Do you really believe, do you trust that God really does have your best interest at heart? And that this book right here of, of, of laws and precepts and, 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 and all, of the, all of the rules of the Bible were not written to make your life hard and miserable and tough. God gave you these rules in order to protect and maximize the joy and happiness and longevity of your life. You see, when you learn to trust God and you believe that He genuinely is at uh, at large and in charge and He's in control and He cares deeply for you, then what you'll see is that God is a God who is worthy of every ounce of our heart's obedience. We'll say to God, my heart is passionate about your heart. My heart is in pursuit of your heart. I don't just obey for what I can get out of Christianity. I obey because I know that you love me and you know what's best for me. And my heart is in line with your heart. God, I trust you. God, I trust you. Boy, that ought to be our heartbeat this morning. i got to say that after having been saved for many, many years now, I look back at times in my life where I obeyed God when I did not want to obey God. I did what was right when my flesh did not want to do what was right. I have, there have been times where I've obeyed God when it was not convenient, when it was not easy, when it required a whole lot of trust, when it required a whole lot of praying. And I have to say at the end, God has never one time let me down. Not one time let me down. My hope and prayer is that after many years of being obedient to the Lord, you'll look back over your shoulders and like children, like David, you'll say, I have experience in obedience. Number two, we see the expectation of obedience. The expectation of obedience. Look at Psalm chapter 40 and look at verse number 5. The Bible says, Many, O Lord my God, are thy wondrous works, which thou hast done, and Thy thoughts, which are to usward, they cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Look at verse 6. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings hast thou not required. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me. Hold your place in Psalm 40. Turn over to 1 Samuel 15, 1 Samuel chapter 15. There have been some debate about when this Psalm, uh, Psalm 40 was written. Many believe that this was written shortly after David had become king of Israel. If this is the case, and I don't know whether it is or not, but if this is the case, then verses 5, 6, and 7 are written in the direction of King Saul. 
and would have to do with the story we're going to look at now. What is David saying in Psalm 40, verses 6 and 7, 5, 6 and 7? He's saying, look, it's not about sacrifices. It's not about going through uh, the, the ritual of worship. It's about having an obedient heart of worship. Look at verse Samuel 15 and look at verse 20. I, I, I hope that this morning a light is shined on a couple of topics that are really confusing for many, many church-going Christians. Look at verse 20. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people, notice he's pointing the finger, the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which uh, should have been utterly destroyed, the sacrifice, uh, to, to sacrifice rather, unto the Lord thy God, in Gilgal. Let me pause the reading there. We're going to look at 22 and 23 in just a moment. What, what's going on here? What's the backstory? The Amalekites' wickedness had reached its peak. In fact, many Bible scholars believe the Amalekites were living in a time where there was incest rampant within their culture. They were self-destructing within their own culture. And God had decided He was done with the Amalekites. He'd given them every chance to turn around, every chance to repent. And so God ordered Saul, uh, for the preservation of the gene pool of humanity, to go over and wipe out the Amalekites, completely destroy everything about them, do not uh, uh, save anyone alive, do not keep their animals, burn it all down, destroy all of it. The, clear, the command could not have been more clear. And then all of a sudden, Samuel comes over the corner after they had gone to battle and, and attempted to follow through on what God had said. And all of a sudden, Samuel is hearing the lowing of sheep. He's, see, he's seeing that the obedience of Saul was not there. Saul was disobedient and rebellious. Now, with that in mind, look at verse 22. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice... As in obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, if you don't have this underlined in your Bible, underline this phrase, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For, and here's the heart of the matter, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because, Saul, thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. When questioned about why he brought some of the animals back, Saul's answer was, I brought them back for sacrifice. I brought them back to fulfill my religious obligations, my dutiful obligations in the tabernacle. And you know what Samuel looked at Saul and said? He said, worshiping God is not about a ritual. Worshiping God is all about obedience. Now, David reiterates this thought in Psalm 40. When he says, God does, God's not looking for some ritual. He's not looking for some offering, some burnt offering. What's God looking for? Obedience. I'm laying groundwork to go somewhere very important, so please listen on purpose for a moment. In the Old Testament, 
for centuries, the Jews would live their lives however they wanted. However they wanted. They would live in debauchery and sin and wickedness. And then they would go get an animal and they would go to either the tabernacle or temple, depending on the era, and they would, they would offer up that animal as if to say, carte blanche, white clean, start over. Now I can go back and live in wickedness again because I went through the ritual of offering up this animal. I've done my religious ritual. Now I can go back and live in rebellion and disobedience to God because I have checked the religious ritual box. And Samuel says to Saul, obedience is better than some ritual. Now, how does that look in today's era? We don't have a temple or tabernacle. We don't have the five offerings we find in the book of Leviticus. We don't have that. But can I tell you what we do have in the New Testament church? We have something called baptism and something called Lord's Supper. And here's what I see a lot of folks do. Because I've been baptized and because I take the Lord's Supper elements, I can live however I want. To obey is better than ritual. To obey is better than sacrifice. You know what God wants? Above all, with your heart, He wants your obedience. He wants your obedience. When my kids were really little, three, two, I wouldn't say two, three, four, five years old, My wife and I had worked so hard to win over their hearts. I spent hours and hours and hours playing with them on the floor and having a great time with them and taking them places and getting them McDonald's ice cream. And and we had a Chick-fil-A down the road from our house. And I remember when April was two years old, I took her on our first daddy-daughter date night to Chick-fil-A. They had a daddy-daughter date night there. I have a picture of me and her in a limousine. Uh, Chick-fil-A had gotten a limousine. And we got in the limousine and rode around town together. She's got glasses on her face. and She had shoved chicken nuggets in her mouth and ice cream all over her face. And We had a great time together. But the reason why I had worked so hard to have a relationship with April was because I wanted to enforce rules and I wanted her obedience. And I got Matthew and April to a place that at four or five years old, they could be running around the auditorium at church and all I had to do when I was in conversation with someone else is make eye contact with them. And I would look at them and I would do this right here. And you know what? They would immediately stop what they were doing and change their behavior. Do you obey the Lord? Or do you make God pull out the big stick and beat you over the head to get your attention? We have this convoluted thinking, and I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just trying to be straightforward and honest. Uh, uh, Connecticut, uh, the folks that live in Connecticut are highly Catholic. Uh, Stratford is a highly Catholic area. And uh, uh, Stanford, really all of Connecticut, is highly Catholic. That Italian background, that Roman-Italian, Roman Catholicism background. And you know what the Catholic Church ingrains in us? And oftentimes we carry it with us into the Baptist Church. And this this attitude of, if I check the box and go to church, and I check the box and read my Bible, and I check the box and pray, that I can live however I want and do whatever I want, and I am okay with God. God does not want your exterior, uh, ritualistic, religious behavior. He wants obedience in your heart. 
He wants to know that your heart is in tune with His heart. And when He as much shakes His head in your direction over your behavior, you say, yes, sir, Lord, my heart is in line with your heart. I will obey. Boy, we have a God who's deserved, deserving of the right and has earned the right for us to obey Him. He slew His Son on the cross to save us from hell. Those of us that have called on His name for salvation, we have taken advantage of one of the greatest sacrifices ever made. And through His sacrifice, He does not ask us to go about offering Him some religious set of sacrifices. He asks us from His sacrifice to give Him a heart to obedience. Are you obedient to the Lord this morning? Or are you only obedient when it's convenient for you and when it awards you and when it brings about benefit for you. I believe that many Christians only read the Bible for what they can get out of it for them and they only go to church for what they can get out of it for them and they only pray for what they can get out of it for them. And God says, no, I don't want you just to read the Bible so to see how it can benefit your life. I want you to read the Bible because I wrote it to you and I love you. God does, God does not just want us to pray for how we can add this to our life and that to our life and give me a better marriage and give me better kids and help me out of this bad situation. No, God wants us to pray so we will revolve around the very God who made us and loved us. God does not just want us to go to church so we can check off some pharisaical box and act like we're better than the rest of society. God wants us to go to church because at church is where we find a a, a synergy from the people of God. We find love from the heart of God. We find instruction on how to live to obey God. David says in Psalm 40, he says, says, God's not looking for the, the letter of the law of sacrifice. He's looking for the spirit of the law of obedience. Number one, we see the experiences of obedience. Number two, The expectation of obedience. Let's finish number three. Let's notice the emotions of obedience. The emotions of obedience. Listen, when we get to a place in our life where we set the immature rebellion to the side and we choose that we're going to obey God and we're going to wholeheartedly obey God, what a happy day that is. Before I get into the uh, subpoints here, I want to just share the story with you about a paradigm change that happened in my life when I was 15 or 16 years old. I, I remember growing up the son of a Christian school principal. My dad was always uh, having me over at the church to help him move tables and chairs. If I had a penny for every table and chair I have moved at a church, I think I could retire and own my own island. And that probably is not an exaggeration. Pastor Andrew grew up similar. Amen? Matthew's growing up similar. Uh, I moved, and listen, this was before plastic tables were around. How many of you remember the old wooden tables that weighed like 500 pounds? You know what I'm talking about? And uh, my dad would always carry it in such a way where my little 8-year-old arm had all the weight on my end, and he knew how to carry it where he didn't have to carry much. And I figured it out one day, and he just got the biggest kick out of that. I remember I was 15 years old, and we lived across the street from the church, and he called, uh, called over to the house and had my mom send me over, and, and I was hiding out at home because I knew there were tables and chairs that needed to be set up, and I didn't want to be anywhere around. And I remember I was helping him carry a table from the, the church building over to the elementary school wing. And, and I had a table, and my attitude was just sideways and crooked and wrong, and, 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 and it was written all over my face. And I was only carrying the table because I felt forced by my father to do so. And I remember my dad stopped, and we were outside in the courtyard, and we set the table down, and he looked at me, and he said, Richard, he said, 
you're going to move the table whether you have a good attitude or a bad attitude. That table sure is a lot more enjoyable to move when you have a good attitude. Many Christians, they go through the Christian life obeying God with a bad attitude. And I'm just going to tell you what my father told me. Serving God is a whole lot more fun if you do it with a good attitude than with a bad attitude. When, I, when he said that, I put my head down. And I looked up at him and I said, you're right. You're right. I need an attitude change. And that day, for the most part, my whole attitude about serving the Lord around the church building completely changed. And God knew that I was going to need that. The very next year, we moved from Alabama up to Maryland. And in Maryland, my dad started a Christian school from scratch. And you talk about moving tables and chairs and going to warehouses and picking up desks and, 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 and sifting through office furniture that was being discarded and finding all of those things and bringing them in and, and helping my dad get things cataloged. And I was his right-hand help to help him get that school up and running. If I had not changed my attitude 12 months prior, boy, I would have been in for a time of suffering, great suffering suffering in the time to come. And I believe that many people go through life and God has them by the back of the neck and He's dragging them through the Christian life and they're miserable in their obedience and they don't enjoy serving the Lord and they only obey when they have to. Boy, it sure is a whole lot better when you just get up on your two feet and you dust yourself off and you say, Lord, I'm going to obey you because I'm going to enjoy obeying the God who made me and saved me. When you do that, boy, the emotions that flood in are... Tremendous. Let me give you some thoughts here. Letter A, David says, Your will is my delight. Your will is my delight. Look at verse 8. I delight to do thy will, O God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. In Bible times, they had something called the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee. During this year, all of those who had found themselves in slavery were set free from their bondage and were free to go. They were free. They could go attach themselves to another owner and be a slave again by their own choosing or uh, they could leave slavery behind in the dust never to return. Some slaves had so fallen in love with the care of their master that they did not want to leave. If that bond between master and slave or servant was strong enough and rich enough the slave, by his own choosing, would uh, allow his ear to be bored through and pierced against the fence post. And the brand of his master would be bored into his earlobe. You can find this in the Old Testament, all of the rules around how all this works. And uh, that slave would agree, by his own choosing, to belong to his master if either, uh, until, uh, as long as both of them remained alive. One day, God in heaven, he looked down and he saw me, a slave. He saw me a slave to sin and he saw me a slave to Satan. He saw how cruel and abusive Satan was as a taskmaster and a slave owner. And God said, I'm going to send my son down to earth and I'm going to 
pay the price to buy him away from Satan and I'm going to make him my own. And uh, listen, the day I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan ceased to be my owner and my boss and my master and I chose to bind myself and have his love pierced through the, uh, my pro- proverbial ear and I became the child and the servant of God Almighty. God is my master. You know, I would, I would rather have God tell me what to do than Satan and sin tell me what to do. So many people, they go through life and they think, ah, no one's going to tell me what to do. Mom and dad aren't going to tell me what to do. Uh, teacher's not going to tell me what to do. Police aren't going to tell me what to do. I'm going to live however I want. Oh, really? You know, you know who your master is? It's the devil. It's the devil. Sorry, I pointed the wrong direction. It's the devil. He ain't up there, amen? It's the devil. You say, well, no one tells me what to do. Okay. Whatever sinful habit you've developed in your life, stop right now. I bet you can't do it. Someone gets addicted to cigarettes, they're a slave to that nicotine. Boy, it's really hard to quit cigarettes. Some of you in here have done it, you know. People give their life to the devil and to the world and sin, and what they find is that those things bring about destruction and pain and hurt. Boy, I would rather God be my uh, master. I'd rather be a servant and a slave to God Almighty. Paul said over and over again, he said, I am servant of God. The word doulos in the Greek is translated both slave and servant. I would rather be a slave to the God of heaven who loved me. And when he puts forth his will that he wants me to do, yes, sir, you've saved me from hell. Uh, You are my master. Whatever you want, It is my delight to do. Letter A, but David said, your will is my delight. Letter B, notice, your salvation is my declaration. Your salvation is my declaration. Look at verse 9 and 10. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. I uh, I have not refrained my lips, thou knowest. I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. David said, I am so in love with God. I am so thrilled uh, 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 that God has saved me. I am so thrilled over His goodness in my life. I want to stand on the rooftops and I want to tell anyone and everyone who will listen, God is my salvation. God is my strength. He is faithful. His tender mercies are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Many Christians are so down in the dumps and negative about all that's going wrong in their life. And I just want to encourage you that you take a step back and notice how that God has worked through past situations in your life to bring about good. Praise be to God. For his salvation. This morning I um, opened up um, the notes that Brother Okai is teaching through in his, his class, Why God Allows Suffering. Wow. If you're, not in a life, if you're in a life group right now, stay where you are. Okay. If you're not in a life group right now, go to Brother Okai's class. Fantastic. Wow. I'm going to take his notes and turn it into counseling material. That's how well put together they are. And I'm not trying to elevate him. He just stumbled onto some really, really good material. I don't know if he put it together or someone else put it together. Fantastic. And you know what I have learned through reading through his materials or been reminded of by reading through Brother Okai's 
materials is this right here. God allows suffering because through suffering we're made strong. God allows suffering because through suffering it proves to us who we really are in our heart of hearts. God did not allow the children of Israel to wander around the wilderness so he could prove to himself how wicked they were. God allowed the children of Israel to wander around the wilderness so they would see how wicked they were in their own heart. See, suffering reveals to ourselves a lot. When God allows suffering in our life, you see what he's doing is he's refining us, he's cleaning us, he's purging us. And through that, we have more appreciation of who God is and what his salvation is. David said, he said, your salvation is my declaration. Letter C, and lastly, your mercies are my deliverance. Your mercies are my deliverance. Look at verse number 11 with me. David said, withhold not thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. I am glad that God is a perfect balance. Look here at verse 11. God is a perfect balance of loving kindness and truth. You know what that means? That means that God knows how to give us a relationship and He knows how to enforce the rules. David said, these attributes of God, they preserve me. They deliver me. They carry me through day after day, week after week, year after year, decade after decade, from my birth to my death, your loving kindness and thy truth, they deliver me out of uh, my own problems and problems that others bring, bring along uh, to me. Your loving kindness and your truth work in tandem to bring about deliverance and strength. Your tender mercies toward me, God, I enjoy, I rejoice, I am thankful for. I close the sermon this morning with just a really simple question. If you obey God, why? Why? Are you obeying God for what you can get out of God? Or are you obeying God because He loved you and saved you? He's your everything. You want to have that right relationship with Him. Are you obeying God where it's convenient and not obeying God where it's not? My friend, it's time to decide we're going to give our entire heart to our Master and our Lord and our King. We're going to be a servant that obeys His every whim and wish and will. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. The songwriter said this, All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. Are you surrendered to your master? Or are there areas of your life you're holding out on? Areas of your life where you're not obedient to God because you're self-willed and stubborn and rebellious. How many here today would say, Pastor, pray for me that my heart would be tender toward the Lord and that I would be obedient to God and I would do so with the right heart attitude. Pastor, here's my hand. Pray for me. Pray that God would help me to be obedient to be obedient for the right reasons. Lord, help us this morning.
to take what we've heard and, Lord, work in each of our hearts and lives. Help us, God, to be surrendered to you above all. In Jesus' name.